announcement. Um, something we want to do here is kind of pastoral care type ministry. If you have um, habits, hang-ups, uh, issues in your life that you just can't get past, um, insecurities, fears, uh, guilt, shame, stuff maybe that baggage that you've been carrying in your family for a long time, if that's you, and guess what, we all got something, right? And so uh, we want to help you. And so we're beginning a process here, part of our encounter ministry, to help people. And I don't think we can help you. I know we can help you. And so if you, that is you, if you would, one of our connection cards, there's a prayer box because we can do it anonymously. And just write your name and your phone number on there. Excuse me. And just put habits and hang-ups or put whatever you want. But just let us know what it is that you, you, you need help with. And somebody's going to contact you. And then we'll, we'll you know, get, get a little bit of information about what's going on. And then we'll, we'll work with you. So if that's you and it's something that you're interested in, the Bible says, for whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Right? Jesus wants his people free. Salvation is spiritual. The Bible says the mind must be renewed and the soul, which is the realm of the emotion, must be restored. And so while we're born again, quite most often the mind is, of the believer is never renewed because we believe lies. So there's a process there. And there's also a process for the restoration of the soul or the damage or the brokenness of the emotion. You understand that? Greatest healing the church needs is in the, is in the realm of the emotion. And so we're going right at it. And uh, if that's you, we want to give you an opportunity. It's free. You know, we're, we're going to move you through a process and it, it, it's completely painless, but the results are good. And you can sign up with a connection card and you can drop it in. There should be a mailbox over there. Is there a mailbox there? There's a mailbox. So if you want to put right, just write on the connection card, your name, your contact number, and then just put habits and hangups and we'll and put your email and your phone number. That's what we need. So we'll send you a little form and you can just fill it out and then all that stuff. But anyway, all right. Yeah, so we're going to do gospel today. We're going to talk about daring faith. We're talking about being daring enough to believe. Is there any believers in the room? Yeah, come on. We're talking about the gospel. We're going to talk about the benefits of it. Okay, bring the next slide up. Jesus says to John in, in, to, in uh, 1140, he tells his disciples, Did I not tell you that if you dare to believe, you will see the glory of God? If you will have the courage to believe, you will see the glory of God. The question every human being on the planet has to ask is, what will you do with Jesus? Will you believe? And what is belief? Belief is, is faith to the point of action. It's stepping into something. Did you believe so much that you're going to do something about it? Faith always requires action. Belief always requires action. I believe the chair is going to hold me up. Well, I dare you to sit in it. Okay. I believe the airplane's going to fly. If you didn't believe that airplane was going to fly, you wouldn't get on it. Right? If you didn't believe the chair was going to sit up, so belief is always attached to an action. There's always an action. Eternal destiny is based upon that question. Will you believe? Will you believe? Most people, a lot of human beings, a lot of people who have heard the gospel and maybe have a belief in their mind, but they're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. Because the Bible never tells us to believe in our mind. It tells us to believe in our hearts. It is from the heart that we are saved. It's from the heart. So we have to invite Christ into our hearts. What does it mean to believe? The first thing is to turn your life over to Jesus. Turn your life over to Jesus. And so often we think that it's a prayer. It's far more than a prayer. It's a surrender of your life. Salvation is the great exchange. 
And we have a lot of things that go on a lot of times in the world where we think people come up here and they say a prayer. It's like signing an insurance policy, but they've never given their hearts away. And there's no change in them because they've never surrendered their life. It requires the surrender of all that you are for all that he is. And trust me, that's the best deal you're ever going to get. There's no better deal than that. That's better than Black Friday sales. I'm telling you, it's better than a lot. The Bible says, Romans 10, 9 says, If you acknowledge Christ and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is recognizing his power, authority, and his majesty, and you believe in your heart, not your head, that God was raised, that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. So the gospel is that we surrender our lives to him, all that we are for all that he is. And what are the benefits? Your sins are forgiven. Come on. That's good news. Your sins are forgiven, freely forgiven, completely forgiven, past, present, and future. A lot of people think that once they receive Christ, that if I sin, then God no longer loves me. Then now I'm outside of his love and he doesn't care. That's guilt and shame. That's a lie. That's, a, that's an idea. That's a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. To understand what salvation is, we have to understand the root of the word sin. Two Greek words, harmatia, harmatano. Harmatia is to offend. Harmatano is to miss the mark. And so often the church focuses only on harmatano, missing the mark. And they don't understand harmatia. The sin, John, John says it this way, there is a sin that leads unto death, and there are sins that do not lead unto death. What's the sin that leads unto death? The Bible would use the Greek word harmatia. It means the offense. It is a life lived without God. It is a life that determines that it does not need salvation. It's an offense. We push God away. All we have sinned, harmatia, and gone our own way, Isaiah says. We have pushed God away. That word is actually used in Greek mythology and in Greek literature to describe a hero who has fallen. Right? So how does heaven see us when we have fought, pushed God away? We've been created with a heroic nature and a heroic status. And when man sinned, that's why it uses the word fall. We've pushed God away and the heroes have fallen. So when we receive Christ, what happens in the life of the believer is the offense is removed. Right? Understand this? We've gone our own way. We have to return. Jesus uses the word repent. He uses a Hebrew word, teshuva, and it means return. There's a Greek word, metanoia. So the two words for repentance, which in the Bible means return to the Lord, and metanoia, change the way that you think. That's the idea. But there can be no changing of the way that we think until we've returned to the Lord. And when we confess Jesus, we confess him as what? Starts with an L. Lord. We don't confess him as friend. We don't confess him as the man upstairs. We don't say he's my big buddy. You know, we don't even confess him as creator. We confess him as Adonai, the one above all, the one to whom I submit. It is the bowing of the heart and the surrendering of the life. That's salvation. There is no salvation apart from that action. It requires that. That is what is required of us, is the complete and absolute surrender of our lives. And once we do that, we receive all of the benefits the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. That's where the word harmatano comes in. So if you're a Christian here this morning and you've done what I've just said, just because you sin doesn't mean God doesn't love you. The word harmatano relates to a missing of the mark. You're shooting an arrow and it goes over here. It relates to a ship that's trying to make port, but its compass is off. It's going the wrong way. So the Christian who sins is missing port. Sins that do not condemn you eternally, but will cause you to miss your mark 
from a destiny standpoint. So when the believer sinned, there is therefore now no condemnation. You are not condemned in your sin. But what sin does to the believer is moves you off of the point of destiny. It takes you out of alignment with where God would have you. And so if you're living a life that's off course, what happens is you have to correct course. It's harmatano. The salvation is given and it's not retracted. He never retracts it. If you've completely given yourself to him, you are his and his alone. You need to know that. You need to know that there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Born again. There's lots of Christians who are born again, but are living lives that are off the mark. Can you get a witness? Right? And then the enemy compounds that with guilt and shame and lays guilt and shame upon them and only furthering, causing them to further distance themselves from the one who truly loves them. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from the unrighteousness. It doesn't say he saves us again. It just says he cleanses us. Peter, Jesus washed Peter's feet. He said, not only my feet, Lord, but my whole body. And Jesus said, what? You're already clean, Peter. I don't need to wash you again. You're already clean. Your feet, where you've been walking, need to be cleaned. You understand this? This is the gospel. This is how great a salvation. This is amazing grace. All the prophets testify about him, who? Jesus. That through his name, everybody say this, everyone who believes in him as Savior and Messiah receives the forgiveness of sins. Everyone. Your name's in the Bible. You're in everyone. You didn't know that, did you? Next slide. We trust. And once we trust, we rest in his love. It's an agapeo love. It is not a friendship love. It is not a uh, sort of a, a, a romantic love. It's not even a love like ice cream, like I love ice cream. It's a love that's, that's based, somebody said it's unconditional love. I would disagree to one point. It's based upon one condition, that you give your life to Christ. And once you move into Christ, you now have his unconditional love. It's agapeo. It's a love with one condition, faith in Jesus. And you can rest in his love, Christian. He's for you even when you're against yourself. That's a mantra. We say that over and over again. Why do you say that, Kevin? Why do you make us say this? Because I want to drill it in your consciousness. That when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. Woman, where are your accusers? Do none condemn you? Then neither do I. You're not condemned. You will never be condemned. You cannot be condemned. Who will condemn the one whom God has justified, the Bible says? Who can condemn you if the Father of heaven, the one who has the final authority, has justified you? Who can condemn you? No one. Even if your heart condemns you, God can you, your heart means nothing. God is greater than your heart. He does not condemn you. You can rest in his love. That God is for me even when I'm against myself. Well, I don't feel that way. I don't care what you feel. It's truth. Truth and feeling are, so, are often distanced apart, are they not? What is true and how you feel are often not lined up. <laughs> but we stand, we are people of truth, not of emotion. We're people of truth, not of human belief. God says it. He's the final authority. God demonstrates his love this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much does he love you? That while you were his enemy, he gave his life for you. Who would do that? I don't know if I'd do that. Your worst enemy, and you've got to pay the price for them. Would you do that? No, I don't think so. 
He loves us. Jeremiah says, I love you from afar with an everlasting love. And if he loved us from afar, how much more does he love us now? The question oftentimes is, what does love mean? We think love is a warm fuzzy. Love is not a warm fuzzy. Love is, not a, love is a verb. It is an action. The biblical definition of love is to seek the highest good. So when God is loving you, he is actively working in your life, seeking the highest good. His process in you is to care for you, to elevate you, to shift you, to change you, to transform you. That's his process of love. He is constantly working on your behalf. That's what love means, to seek the highest good. It's like loving a child, right? Your kid wants a Snickers bar. It's my son. He would, when he was younger, he wanted Snickers bars and Coke. That's all he wanted, literally. My neighbor actually bought him, because he did this so much, bought him Snickers bars and a 12-pack of Coke, big monster Snickers bar and a 12-pack for Christmas. I'm like, dude, please. Because last be like, I just want Snickers and a Coke. That's all I want, Snickers and a Coke. Well, that's not his highest good, right? So it wouldn't be a good parent if you were just trying to give the kids Snickers bars and, 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 and Coke all the time, right? So the Lord is working on our behalf, seeking our highest good. That's what love means. The benefit is that you can know and live your purpose. Jesus is more concerned about your purpose and your destiny than you are. It's true. You were created on purpose with a purpose. You did not make yourself. Your purpose becomes known when you begin to build the relationship with your creator. You are known, you're known by him. The process is to know him, to let him love you and work in, his, in your life and to become what he has called you to become. Believe, belong, become. That's the process of the gospel. Jesus, say this with me. Jesus is a God of elevation. He does not suppress people. He elevates them. That's why we name this church Elevate. Next level, baby. That's where we're going. We're after upgrades, right? We're leaving the past behind. We're going for the high places. He's a God of purpose. We become. He is working on your behalf to build you into the person that you are called to be. What do you need to do? You just got to partner with him. You got to partner with him. It requires work. You have to build. How many knows marriages work? Huh? Marriage is ugly sometimes, man, but it's work. Two people getting to know one another. Two people learning to cooperate with one another. Two people learning to yield one to the other. That's what it looks like with Jesus. We think it's Shazam. Jesus just shows up and throws a life plan on the table and goes, there you go, have at it. It's a partnership, and it's a wrestling. And let me tell you something. To know the Lord and to know what he wants, it requires wrestling. You're not going to know everything right off the bat. You're going to have to struggle. Because what God does in the struggle is he dismantles you. You have to change the way that you think. Everybody say this with me. Jesus, Jesus is greater than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. You believe that? In him you are also chosen. You've been given a predetermined destiny. In Christ... You're chosen, he'll come to Christ, and once you come into him, he has set a course of destiny. You are a world changer. Every believer on the planet has been given the power and the potential to change their environment. Whether that in every believer on the planet has been given the power and the potential to change their environment. Whether that environment is your family, whether that environment is your neighborhood, whether that environment is your city, or whether that environment is the world. And God will take you as high as you want to go. 
as high as you want to go, but you are world changers, who you are. And you have a plan of him who works everything out in conformity to the purpose of his will. What is your will, Father? What is your will for my life? What are you saying? And most of the time, Christian, he begins with the simple things. You can say this with me. I cannot run with the horses until I can run with the runners. So God said in the prophets, he said, how can you run with the horses if you can't keep up with the footmen? You want to run with horses. Great. I want you running with horses. But let's learn to run with the runners. And most Christians don't want to do the basic disciplines that are required to prepare them for their destiny. There are basic disciplines. Anybody know in the military they have basic training? Right? And the basic training is to prepare them for when everything hits the fan. Right? They have basic and advanced training to prepare them. Without basic training, they don't know how to rifle. They don't know how to hear the orders. They don't know anything. And most Christians want to run with horses and, you know, take off and just all these things. And God said, if you'll seek his kingdom, it will give it to you. But we've got to do basic things. Read your Bible, Christian. Get a working knowledge of your Bible. This is what it will tell you. What's my will for my life? I want you to learn my word, Kevin. Oh, that sounds boring. I don't want to do that. So we kick it off to the curb. Then two years later, we go back and go, what's your will for my life? And God goes, learn my word. Oh, kick it off to the curb. And now we've got decades that have gone by, and we have wasted our time because we have not partnered with the basic disciplines. Learn to pray. Commit and connect to a church. Financially give. Learn to witness and share your faith or invite people to church. Oh, we don't want to do those things. Then you're going nowhere. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going nowhere. Those are the radical five. Without those five in operation in some form, Christians will not. You won't go through the door because there's no platform. If you want to change the world and you can't invite someone to church, who are you kidding? If you want the Holy Spirit to use you and you don't even know what his language is, his language is the spirit or his language is the word, and you don't even know his word, but you want the Holy Spirit to speak, who are you kidding? If you want God to bless you financially and you want to become a kingdom influencer in the realm of finances, but you can't give the minimum of the tithe, who are you kidding? You're fooling yourself. I'm telling you. You want to influence people and change the world, but you can't commit and connect to a God's local family called the body? Who are you kidding? You want to lead people, but you don't know how to submit? Who are you kidding? The Bible says, unless you are faithful in that which is not your own, you will never have that which is yours. Until you learn to serve and submit into something that is not yours, God will not give you that which is yours. We tell my son this all the time. Son's got a lot of leadership gifts. I said, you will never lead until you learn to follow. You can be carrying all this leadership and you can have all this stuff and you can feel like you're in charge. That means nothing until you learn to follow. And following is not convenient. Can I get a witness? Following doesn't always feel good. The Bible calls humble is the same word as humiliation. We humble ourselves. It feels humiliating. Well, that's, that's part. Then you know you're on target. Right? You know you're on target. Anyway. <laughs> we become God's part of God's family. When we come to know him, we rest in his love. We're given an identity. Come on. False identities. The world's trying to tell you who you are. Jesus is trying to tell you who you are. In him, you're a son and daughter. Huh? What? What manner of love is the Father given to us that we would be called the children of God? The world is not called the children of God, Christian. Only to those who believe in his name. 
It's not the family of humanity. It's the family of the believer. God is not father to the unbeliever. Now, when they become a Christian, then he becomes their father. But until then, they're nothing more than his creation. I'm giving you gospel. This is what the Bible says. We become part of his family. We're son and daughter. We become an heir. You were an heir. Say it with me. Just get your, you got to get used to this stuff. I'm an heir of this world and the world to come. I am royal. You believe it? You are royal. What's that song? We, we, we need to be royals. You're already royals. You're royals. Start understanding what that means. Start positioning your life through that understanding. What does it mean to be royal? You're royal. How do you know I'm royal? Because Jesus said you're royal. I don't act like royalty. Oh, well, that doesn't change the fact that you're royal. I don't think I'm royal. That doesn't matter either. It doesn't change the fact that you are. Your priesthood, what does that mean? You, God has given you the opportunity to minister unto him, to receive ministry from him, and to release ministry from your life unto others. That's what priest, priestly means. One who ministers unto the Lord, receives ministry from the Lord, and ministers unto the people. Nobody on the planet is given the right to be a priest before the Lord except the believer. He will not accept the offering of the, un, of the unbeliever unless they come to Christ. But the Christian can come boldly, ministering unto the Lord, receiving ministry from him, and you are empowered to do his work in the world. It is an honor. It is not a burden. We think it's a burden. Oh, God's telling me i got to tell people about Jesus. You need to change your thinking, Christian. It is not a burden. It is an honor. He tells the people in Isaiah, if you will stop calling the things that I say blessed, and you will stop saying that they are a burden... You'll see righteousness. You'll see glory. But so long as you say, oh, I got to tithe again. Oh, kick. Oh, I got to invite somebody to church. Oh, kick. Stop calling the things of the Lord a burden. Change how you see. Change how you see. And understand, God has put an honor upon me that I can bless him. God has put an honor upon me that I can be a priest before him. You have to change the way that you think. Stop diminishing yourself. Stop thinking like unbelievers and start thinking the way that he has called you to think. And then you can become. Then your righteousness will come forth like the noonday. Your healing will break forth speedily, the Bible says. You will be the rebuilders of wasted cities and raise up the foundations of many generations. If you do those. That's a conditional promise. So let's start doing the ifs so that we can see the what's. Let's raise up the foundations of many generations. Who wants to know what that is? I don't know what exactly what that is, but I want to see that. Because he said we can build foundations that will last generations. Don't you want to do something with your life? Don't you want to do something collectively that will last for generations? That even when you're in heaven, you're still seeing what you sowed into producing glory for God? Because you raised up the foundation of many generations. You've restored wasted cities. That's what the Bible says. The wasted city will be restored. Stop calling what I've asked you to do a burden. Just do it. It is an honor to me. It is a glory to me. Nobody's offering me that. I don't get an opportunity to minister the president. Not that I care to. I don't get an opportunity to minister the mayor or the governor or anybody like that again. Not that I care to. But I get an opportunity to minister the king of glory. 
And while the earthly kings will take your honor and give you nothing in return, the heavenly king will take your glory or take your honor and he will give you his glory in return. You don't just give it to Jesus. He gives it back to you. Come on. You're, yeah. Let's go. You are chosen in your generation. You are chosen. Chosen. To do great and mighty things which God has prepared for you before the foundations of the world. And we go, we want those great and mighty things. So let's start with remedial math. Okay? Can we start with 1 plus 1 equals 2? And we're going to move on to calculus. And once we get there, we're going to start launching rockets to the moon. But we can't launch rockets to the moon until we learn calculus, until we learn, start learning quantum physics. Okay? Once we learn calculus and quantum physics, now we're launching rockets. But if we don't know remedial math, we're never going to get there. You understand that? That's why we need to know our 1 plus 1s equals 2s and all that other stuff. I know it's boring, but we need to know it. We need to know it. That's how he empowers a generation. We have the most biblically illiterate generation in this country than we've ever had. We have more sermons and more Sundays than any ever before, but we have a biblically illiterate church. Christians that don't know their Bible. 96% of all born-again believers have never read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation one time. And we wonder why there's a problem? Well, I don't have the time or I don't understand it. None of that matters. Read it. Read it. If you will read it, he will present you with understanding. I read stuff. I didn't have a clue what I was reading. And I'd be like, well, you said to read it. So I have no idea what I'm reading or why this is even important. But I learned over time. Here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. He built into my life. And I've come to learn that it all matters. It all matters. But in the beginning, I didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't want to do it. You don't want to do it. Who, who begot so-and-so begot so Who the heck is this person? And why are they doing that? And why is this story even in the Bible? And what does this mean? I don't even understand. Redemption, sanctification, justification. What does that mean? I have no idea. Well, just read it, man. Just read it. Next slide, please. We rest in his love. We use your life for a higher purpose. We come to know in Christ that life is beyond us. Romans 6.13, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right before the Lord. We have to change the way that we think. Life's not about us. Everything we say, we do, must have a kingdom purpose attached to it. Your business must have a kingdom purpose attached to it. When you go to work, it must have a kingdom purpose attached to it. The way you raise your family, there must be a kingdom purpose. The way you live must have a kingdom purpose attached to it. We do it through him for his glory. We work as unto the Lord. We serve as unto the Lord. Everything we do, we call out for it. If you want something more, everybody say this. If I want more, and I should want more, because the Holy Spirit is in me. The Holy Spirit's wanting more. I don't know about you. He's a big God. And this little house that he has is not enough for him. He wants more. Right? My little puny little life is not enough for him. He wants more. And so if you want more, say it. If I want more, and I should want more, I need to ask. You need to ask. You need to tell the Lord when you're not content, I'm not content. You need to tell the Lord, I'm content, but I want more. I'm okay, but I want more. Do something with my life. Show me what needs to happen. Show me what needs to change. We want Jesus to do something, but we don't think it requires anything of us. If Jesus is going to change you, if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. 
If you want to be who you've never been, you must become that. You must allow things in your life to be shifted. And that's what Christians do. We just say, well, I want that, but I'm not going to change. Well, you're never going to have it. Every level requires transformation. Every level requires change. A change in the way that you think, a change in the way that you believe, a change in your environment. Every level requires who will take you as high as you're willing to go. I learned long ago there's nothing on the table. Whatever you want from me, whatever you want, because I want the mountain. You want the mountain? He never told anybody no that wanted the mountain. Caleb said, give me the mountain. God said, yeah, give that man the mountain. He said, thank myself that I have somebody that actually believes that I'll give him the mountain. He'll give you the mountain. He said, he'll ride upon the high places. Lord, take me to the high places. Great, Kevin. So let's get rid of your turkey mentality and let's train you to start thinking like an eagle and we'll go to the mountain. Oh, but I like my turkey mentality. I like hanging out with the turkeys. I like hanging out with people who don't want to go anywhere in their life. I like that. Well, then you're going to stay in the valley. You're going to stay in the valley. When Abraham went up the mountain with his son, he had to leave a lot of people behind. And he had to leave all the things behind. The donkeys, the asses, if you will, stayed behind with those who wouldn't go up. Abraham said to the servants, Lo, stay behind with the asses, for the lad and I go yonder to worship. King James Version, look it up. <laughs> you got to leave the asses in the valley, Christian. You got to leave some stuff in the valley if you want to go to the mountain. People will hold you where you are. You've got to become that. You've got to shed it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here we go. Don't be like everyone else. But be transformed by changing the way that you think. Then you will be able to approve what the will of God is. When we shift into the heavenly mindset, and we shift in, not from limitations but into possibilities, then things begin to happen. Then the will of God begins to come into our life. He's not interested in taking you as you are. He changes you. Change your clothes, he told the Hebrew children. For you have not been this way before. Get rid of the old garment and put something new on because I'm taking you in a new direction. Come on. This is good. Somebody give me a pen. I need to write this down. This is like, wait, what did I say there? Okay, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> what is the benefit of, of, of living a life? We have access to his spirit. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not by human will. It's by, it is not by might. Say it with me. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit. The impossibility of the Christian life is given, and the, the power to live it is only in the Holy Spirit. Until you learn to adore and love and cultivate a relationship and allow the Holy Spirit to have access to your life, the power that is present will never become a reality. I can have bread and I can have a toaster and I can be really wanting toast. But as long as that toaster is sitting next to a power outlet, it isn't powered in. It's useless. I can put toast in the toaster and click it down and go, man, why isn't this... Why isn't everything happening? But once I plug it into the power outlet, then it begins to happen. We have to learn that we have the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to adjust our lives into the Holy Spirit. The strength comes through the power of the Spirit. Access to power to a life beyond your own. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You worship, you get in the Spirit. I tell you guys this all the time. But I want it really to be a set in your heart. Like where you're worshiping, man, you're in the Spirit. And you're just like, wow. You know, some of you on Sunday, just love is just dripping off you. You're just like, wow. You're like love drunk. You're walking out of here. Come on, hug it out. Yeah, it's awesome. That's who you are. 
That is the person you will be eternally because you're in the Spirit. Learn to get in the Spirit. Live from the Spirit. You have power for everything. You're not worried when you're in the Spirit? Huh? Are you freaked out when you're in the Spirit? No. It's all going to work out. You don't know how, but you're just like, I don't know, but it's going to work out. God's for me. You know? That's the, that is what we have as believers. That is our asset. It's been given to us. Power for daily living and success. Wearisome and worrisomeness in our nation, in our culture, are epidemics. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. How? In the Spirit. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. Where does that come from? Human will? Uh-uh. In the Spirit. Wait upon Him. Holy Spirit. Come to me. Rise within me. Do your will. Let me get into you. Set aside all that I am. Get in the Spirit and go. You'll have strength. You'll be able to do it. Come on, next slide. Spirit's power. This is really important. A little side note here. The Holy, say this with me. The Holy Spirit's power, Holy Spirit's power is, is saving power, saving power enabling, power, enabling power, sustaining power, and breakthrough power. He saves us by the power of the Spirit. He enables us to do by the power of the Spirit. But the often thing that's most overlooked and most undervalued is His sustaining power. He sustains you until your world changes. You might know what I'm talking about. You're going through something and the Lord is keeping you. You're not where you want to be, but you know that He's keeping you. You know that He's helping you. We want His breakthrough power, but we undervalue His, his, his sustaining power. Elijah was fed by ravens. And when that word didn't work out, he God had a widow. Sustaining power. Until he saw the rain. Eventually, he saw the rain. But until the rain came, God gave him sustaining power. We need to give him glory for the sustaining power. Huh? He keeps you. So I feel like the house is falling down. Has it fallen down, Christian? No. No, it hasn't. But it seems like it's going to. It doesn't matter. The house will stand. Because you're on a rock, he will sustain you. Nations for your ransom. Huh? He does not give aid to angels, the Bible says. Angels aren't getting this kind of help. But he does give aid to Abraham's seed. And if you are Abraham's, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and you are an heir to that promise. It's yours. Your house, say it with me. My house will stand. I have the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. And he will not be denied. We have breakthrough power, the power of the Spirit to break us into that next level. We live on a power shortage. Jesus says this, ask the Father. I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will come and help you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. What's it say? The world cannot receive Him. The people without Jesus do not have the Holy Spirit. And not only do they not have Him, they can't receive Him until they receive Jesus. The predicator, the one that leads before the Holy Spirit is Christ. Submission unto Christ and He grants us the Spirit. You have Him. Don't deny Him. Don't deny Him. Mild confession. Born of the Spirit I am. Trained in the Spirit I was. But taught by the church to deny the power that was given to me. Taught by the church all the wrong things as it relates to the Holy Spirit. And I've done it for a while. And I've made a covenant with the Lord about five years ago. And I said, I will deny you no more. I was denying him and I wasn't even aware of it because I was trained to think in stupid ways. I was embalmed with doctrines of men. 
and not the doctrine of heaven. You are called of heaven and not of men, Christian. Come on. <laughs> Woo, yeah, that's good. I feel that one. I feel like a little warmth coming on me. I'm like, yeah. Jesus is like, thank you, Kevin. Finally, I've gotten through to you. Yes. The Bible says men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of denying the power. That's a, t that's a symptom of the last day church. Denying what? They didn't deny Jesus. They're denying what? Power. Is that a word? That's a word, man. So we may not know what to do with the power. I may have no idea what to do with it. But what I do know is I'm not to deny it. I'm to get on this bicycle and ride it until I learn to ride. Then I'm going to move up to a, to a Ducati, and I'm going to learn to ride that. Then I'm going to get right up to, come on, I'm going to get up to a rocket motorcycle, and I'm going to learn to ride that. But I'm not to deny what has been given to me, nor are you. Say it with me. It's okay, it's okay. if I don't know what I'm doing. Jesus gives me permission to make mistakes. Aren't you glad? <laughs> it's true. He gives you permission to make mistakes. What does the resurrection prove? That Jesus is God. He proves it. Declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection proves that he keeps his promises. He said, I'm going to be crucified and I will rise. No one takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I will take it back up. He keeps his word. Proves that there's life after death. He didn't, Jesus didn't just go into the ground and then cease to exist. No, he was resurrected. Because all human spirits live eternally. Your body doesn't live eternally, but your spirit will. It's a given. Say, oh, I believe you're going to the ground. Well, dude, I, I, you know, I always tell people when they say that, you should go to Vegas, man, because you're a gambler. You're a gambler. I wouldn't gamble with my life that way. There's life after death. The Bible says the wages of sin, the wages of a life that denies Christ is death, and that death is eternal. That death is inferno. We don't like that word, but it's truth. The death without Christ is inferno. But the gift of God is salvation. The gift of God is eternal life. What does eternal life look like? I don't know. Imagine life to the full and think of that eternally. That's the gift of God. Eternal living, eternal life, eternal abundance. That's the gift of God. The resurrection proves this. Next slide, please. Last slide. So the question is, it's a promise of eternal life. You are promised, say this with me, I am going to live forever. I will not die I will pass through a veil, and I will live forever. Huh? You're going to live forever. Are you kidding me? Come on down. Yes, I'll be the next contestant on that one. I'm down with that. Jesus said, I'm the one who raises the dead and gives them life. Anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will be given eternal life. And believing in me, they shall never perish. You have eternal life. What a gift. What a gift. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad this world isn't it? Aren't you glad? Jesus told the thief on the cross, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Which clearly means this world is not paradise. <laughs> We're passing through. This is a dress. This is a, this is a perform. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. You're on stage, Christian. What you've done for him and how you've lived towards him is will be the basis of your reward. It's not the basis of your salvation, but it's the basis of your reward. 
you will be rewarded eternally for any little thing you've done in his name. Who will give you that? Nobody. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, my question is to you is will you dare to believe? Will you dare to believe? And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray together as a group because we're a family here. I'm not going to pray over you. I'm going to pray with you because the Bible says you must confess with your mouth. Yeah. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But if you deny me, I will deny you. We confess. There's no such thing as closet Christians. We come out of the closet. We're counted. We're numbered. That's what we are. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, pray with us. And just pray the prayer. Just open the door of your heart. That's all you got to do. You don't have to even understand what it is that you're doing. Just open the door of your heart. And let's pray together. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior of the world. And I need a Savior. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. You say, is that it? Yeah, we can clap. Somebody wants to clap. Yeah. We can do the wave. <laughs> Come on. It's good stuff. That's, that's, the start, that's just the start of it. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, uh, end the service here. What's up, Alex? Love you, brother. <laughs> nice to see you, man. So um, if we have anybody from the prayer team, if you make your way over there, if you need prayer for anything, that we have some people that will pray for you. If you just need prayer and encouragement, anything, they're, they're, that's what they're there for. And uh, I'm going to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever, may you live in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Family photos, get your family photos. Yeah, update your Facebook profile or your LinkedIn right there. Good to go. Give mom a picture for Christmas. That would be wonderful. But yeah, there's right there. Just make your way over there and see Sherry. We love you. God loves you. Have a great week. Let your love